Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking with Joy, a podcast to fill your soul, challenge your mind, and make you brave. I'm your host, Joy Clarkson, and an evangelist for all things good, true, and beautiful. So make yourself a cup of tea, find somewhere comfortable, and let's dive in to this week's episode. Though I tremble in the darkness, in the cold and frozen snow, I am grateful for the winter, for the winter comes to show that our trouble's never over and our work is never done, but with the turning of the seasons, we will always see the sun. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. That is one of the verses from Noah Gunderson's lovely song, Honest Songs, which has been a small album of his a long time ago that I've always loved. And I I tend to think of this song around November, partially because I think it's written to evoke the sense of Thanksgiving, and it's about sitting and feasting with family in the, in the cold. And I always think of it now because we are coming close to Thanksgiving, um, which is always a mixed feeling when you live overseas because Thanksgiving is such a fundamentally American holiday. And I always find that I celebrate it actually much more here than I would in the States because all of the Americans are kind of filled with a, um, a, a longing for home. And so you end up going to five different versions of Thanksgiving. But I also always begin to think of this song around now, especially in Scotland, because it is about the gift that winter can give us. And I think about this often in the month of November in Scotland because it's when everything begins to get dark. Scotland is so far north that by the time we hit the depths of winter, it really gets light around 10 a.m. and begins getting dark at 3. So you really only have about five hours of intense daylight, which is so different from my experience of, of, for instance, winter in, in Colorado. And we've already started to feel that change now. We had daylight savings two weeks ago, uh, and so it's it's lighter earlier, but there's already this kind of very small window of when it's bright and, and sunshiny. And so everyone kind of shifts modes in this season in Scotland. It's, it's hard to ignore. Everyone has different sleeping patterns. You suddenly see winter coats come out. And everyone, it's, it's no funny business. You don't just wear winter coats for winter fashion. You have to be uh, full of either down or wool, some kind of animal <laughs> uh, material to keep you warm. And there's mittens and gloves and hats just because it's so cold. And because everyone's walking everywhere, you both need to wear warmer clothing, but you also notice the light more. So there's all these kinds of changes that winter brings in Scotland that are perhaps more severe than in America. Not in America in general, Colorado in particular for me. Um, but also I think that you're more aware of the changes because here I don't have a car, I walk everywhere. And so I'm more kind of in touch with nature itself. And it started to make me realize that it's easy in the modern world to just live almost in rebellion against the changing of the seasons, in rebellion against morning and evening. We can flip on our artificial lights and pretend like it's noonday when it's actually midnight. We can crank up our heaters and pretend like we're in a tropical location, even if it's negative 10 degrees outside. But it's a little bit harder to fake 
those things here in Scotland, partially because the heaters just don't work well. And so in summer you are boiling, although never really that boiling because it's Scotland. And in winter you really do, uh, you watch your heating bill go up, but you also just bundle up in wool because the heaters don't work quite as well in all these old houses. And even though that may sound like a negative thing, I've actually realized that Scotland being walking around, being exposed to the darkness and the light all the time, being exposed to the wind in the winter, has actually made me much more grateful for the seasons. There's this reality you experience in the earth that um, the earth is not always the same all the time. This may seem like a very obvious thing to say, but it doesn't have the same amount of productivity, the same amount of the same speed, the same rhythm, the same hues and colors and moods. And I think that humans also are not meant to have the same hues and colors and moods all the time. We're not meant to be as fast as we are in winter as we are in summer. We're not machines that should be expected to kind of repeat with this, with this countable, honorable sameness. We're made for rhythms, for seasons of quiet and rest. And we need to become more comfortable with this. I've started to realize that living in Scotland and watching fallow fields or fields that are resting, those fields in winter are not a sign of deadness or a lack of fruitfulness. They're a sign that everything has its seasons. You know, Ecclesiastes says that um, God has made everything in its season for its purpose. And winter has a purpose. This season of rest, of quietness, of hibernation is not a sign of a lack of fruitfulness, even though it may be a lack of productivity. It shows us that in rest and in quietness, in, in giving the earth this kind of season almost of sleep or in some cases of death, actually leads to springtime. And so I found in myself that I have to give in to the shift that winter gives me. I have to let myself be a little bit slower and adjust with the season. And that's helped me treat myself more like a mystery, more like the earth that can't be counted on like a machine to produce the same thing every day, but that actually gives in to the rhythms of nature and of the seasons. And that's actually how God made us to be. Uh, I've been thinking about the Old Testament feasts lately. And when you read through the Old Testament, there's this huge emphasis on different feasts and celebrations throughout the year that reflect the seasons. Because God made us both to encounter him and each other, but also to work and live and rest in rhythms, not the same way every single day. And Scotland has taught me this in a real and tangible way. It's taught me that there is a gift in winter. There is a gift in trusting that roots grow deep under snowy ground. There is a gift to giving in to seasons of rest and of quiet. And there's also a delight in it. Because something else that I've begun to believe, and a thesis I've been developing, is that much of Scottish culture is developed around staying warm. The Scots are famous for their whiskey, which I believe functions as a kind of internal heating system that warms everyone from within. But if you're against whiskey, or if it doesn't work for you, then you have Kaylee dancing, where you leap vigorously around a room full of people, and if that doesn't keep you warm, then I don't know what will. And then, of course, to endure the long winter nights, you have to come up with new ways of being entertained. And from there, we have Scottish folk music and ballads and songs. 
that's something that I think I didn't realize, uh, I didn't know to count on, was that as the evenings get longer, a part of the thing you encounter is a kind of boredom. When it's dark from 4 p.m. until 10 a.m., there's this kind of emptiness of space. And I felt this all the more since I've gone off of social media, um, like three days ago. Uh, but there's this just great expanse of time when your body kind of doesn't think you should be working, but you also can't sleep for 12 hours a day. Um, so you are given these big, long evenings, and what do you do with them? But all of this is the gift of winter. Um, and so today, I thought that what would be a fun thing would be to share with you all the kind of traditions of wintering in Scotland, specifically focusing on how you spend those long winter evenings, ways that you can fill them with community and stories and song. So in this episode, I will be exploring three pieces of art that deal with wintering in Scotland, the way that people respond to the light and the dark, to the cold and the heat, and how this special season kind of draws us together and asks us to remember and create and delight in new and different ways. So today, for our visual example, I will be talking about a famous Scottish painting of the minister skating. For our literary example, we'll look at some Scottish ballad poetry. And then for our music, we'll be looking at some beautiful um, Celtic music, uh, particularly looking at The Snow Falls Away by Solace. Scotland has inspired me in many ways regarding how I spend my long winter evenings, but I would love to know how you spend your long winter evenings too. So after you listen to this episode, I would love to hear in your comments on my um, website where I'll put the show notes and a little introductory essay for this on joyclarkson.com. And if you don't share your ideas with me, then I hope it inspires you to share it with a friend or perhaps to incorporate a few of these Scottish inspirations into your own evenings. And as ever, before I dive in, I must thank both the Anselm Society, who sponsors Speaking with Joy, and also my patrons on Patreon, without whom I could not continue to both produce this podcast and also do my PhD up here in St. Andrews. So many thanks to all of you. But without further ado, let us dive into our beautiful works of art on whiling away winter evenings. Now, the first thing that I want to chat about today is this wonderful painting um, that is called The Skating Minister. Now, I first encountered this when I moved to St. Andrews. I bought this calendar from Blackwell's, I think, and it was um, some of the most famous paintings from the Scottish uh, Portrait Gallery or from the Scottish Gallery. And this, um, this lovely little painting is of exactly as it sounds, a minister who's in his full kind of black um, outfit and he is uh, peacefully and complacently skating on a beautiful blue um, frozen cold day on some lake and um, this this painting was actually not very well known it, it was painted in the 1790s by Henry Rayburn but was virtually unknown until 1949 when someone found it and then put it in the Scottish National Gallery um, and since then it's become one of the best known paintings and I think what I love about this, so I, I cut this out of the, the calendar. I got the calendar and I didn't use it as a calendar. I simply cut out the images and, and put them up around my dorm room at the time. Now, of course, I have a flat, but then I was in a room. Um, and I think what I loved about this is that he looks like he is so somberly enjoying skating. And it's a picture to me of kind of the ways in which people approach fun during summer versus fun during winter. 
And also it's very distinctly Scottish because of course he is skating on a loch. Uh, if you've heard of the song, uh, The Bonnie Body Banks of Loch Lomond. And if no one has ever explained this to you, a loch is a lake. And so this is obviously in Scotland, the winters, the loch is frozen over. And other fun that might have been other outdoorsy activities like picnicking or fishing in the winter becomes skating. And as I said, what I love about this is how very sincere and somber he looks about this leisure activity. And in a way, I think this reflects uh, something important about, um, about enjoyment in the winter. I think that we are such a productivity-oriented culture. We think of being valuable for what we do or what we accomplish. We sometimes hardly think how serious play and enjoyment can be. But perhaps I'm applying a personal problem to the entire society, which is to say that I am so productivity-centered that sometimes I forget that to play, to rest, and to enjoy is to kind of shift from a mode in which we think of ourselves as valuable for what we do and shift into a mode of receiving life as a gift and recognizing that God needs uh, none of our efforts. Uh, I was recording a podcast, which hopefully I'll eventually share with you, um, based on the poem by John Milton uh, called um, When I Consider How My Light Is Spent. And it's after this period in which he's lost his eyesight, and so he's struggling with um, with the ability to, to do what he was used to, do what he felt like was God's gift to him, God's uh, call in his life, which was to write and to write poetry and beautiful epics. And he can't write, and so he's feeling frustrated. And, um, and he writes this poem, When I Consider How My Light Is Spent. And he asks God, you know, can you ex expect a day's labor, light denied? You know, can you expect me to labor now that my vision's gone? Um, but then Patience says to him, uh, God needs neither man's work um, nor his, I can't remember the other thing he says. Basically he says, when we work, it's good, it's valuable, it's, you know, it's God blessed Adam and Eve and gave them vocations and things to do. But God doesn't need any of these things from us. Ultimately, God is not the, the CEO of the world. He is the father who gives us a world to enjoy um, and a world that should draw us into worship. And so he says, God doesn't need these things of yours. Um, you know, many people go to battle, go to work, but they also serve who only stand and wait. And what he's saying is that there is a disposition of worship that can come from actually ceasing to work um, and enjoying and seeing the world around us. And so when I look at this skating minister, he is a picture to me of somber enjoyment, of someone who is no longer in the busy and rush of trying to get something done, but who has exited the, the hamster wheel and is encountering the world as pure gift. And it's only in that place of kind of ceasing to work for a time um, that we can recognize the gift of the world and that, that actually play in that way can kind of be an act of worship. It's an act of worship because it reminds us that everything we've been given is a gift anyway. And it puts us in that disposition of enjoyment of the gifts of creation that God has given us. And I think that winter as a whole kind of reminds us of this because there's many ways in which winter prevents us from being as productive or useful as we may be. And I don't mean to look down on productivity and usefulness because I love working and I think it gives me a great sense of purpose. Um, but I think there's a real danger of overvaluing that and forgetting that at the end of the day, we're valuable and life is meaningful, not just for what we can do, 
but for who we are and what we've been given. And that who we are is beloved and what we've been given is a world full of abundant gifts to enjoy. Um, and that the enjoyment of those things can actually be quite serious. As the skating minister obviously demonstrates in his somber expression um, while skating across the loch. There's a very interesting story behind who painted this. Um, and if you want to hear it, I would recommend that you go to the show notes on joyclarkson.com and I put up a lovely BBC arts documentary from 2006 that examines that. So that is our first uh, example, which is a visual example of a skating minister who takes his enjoyment of winter with great seriousness. Now, our next example is Scottish ballad poetry. Now, as I've said, there is this kind of um, experience in the winter in Scotland of just a lengthening of days. Of course, in one sense, it's the same amount of hours. But when you have these long nights, there's this sense of just kind of like when it gets dark around four, you're about ready to go to sleep by 7 p.m., but you can't. And so there has to develop a kind of um, way to spend these evenings. And one of the ways that Scotland developed that as a culture was by telling stories. And it's funny, I was thinking about how much we spend our long hours, our leisure hours with telling stories. And I think a reflection of that impulse is actually represented in, in Netflix. I know that may sound funny, but all of us, so many of us in our leisure hours still um, fill them by gobbling up stories. And I think this is a very human impulse is to, there's something essential that we need in stories. We see our lives as stories. And so in our evenings, in our long winter evenings, we tell stories. But what I think is different is that in our world, we tend to um, to receive stories, right? We watch Netflix, we read novels, which are all very good things to do in some sense. But in Scotland, there's this kind of tradition, not only of telling stories, but of keeping stories and making stories. And one of the ways this was done was through Scottish ballad poetry. Now, the fun thing about this evening's poem, uh, I say evening because it is evening here as I'm recording this, is that it is from a book which I do not think you could actually get out of the library if you wanted to, because it is a lovely, huge collection of Scottish ballad poetry, so entitled, that was published in 1897. And this particular copy that I'm reading out of was given to me by my dear friend Elena, and in the end, Elena wrote a, a, her own kind of entry to it. But then in the very front, um, there is, I just share this with you because I think it's the fun of getting old books, um, a name. So it's Janet, it looks like Herless, Edinburgh, July 1910. And in it, she's written this. I'm going to try to read it, although it's beautiful handwriting. It's a bit difficult to e read. And it says, lovely and loved, O passionate land, dear Celtic land, unconquered as still holy mountain then yet prevails holy something have all their will they have no care for mean things they have no scorn for broadening dreams ah spirit in them springs a light about them beams so i i would love to think where did she get that poem i presume it's about scotland and um but I just thought it was delightful and I thought I'd read it to you. So Elena wrote in the front, Dear Joy, 107 years after Janet owed this book, it is now yours. So there's this lovely collection of Scottish ballad poetry. And in preparation for this podcast, I read a good deal of the introduction. 
in, when it in which it talks about what Scottish ballad poetry is. And essentially, Scottish ballad poetry is poetry which can be read, but was originally composed to be sung. And it makes the differentiation between folk songs and ballad poetry, which is that ballad poetry is fundamentally um, uh, narrative-driven. So while a song, or, or like the folk songs, uh, might be about one's love for a particular person or expressing something beautiful, like My Love is Like a Redwood Rose by the famous poet Robbie Burns, ballad poetry has more to do with telling a story. And the thing that I noticed as I, as I began to read these is that many of these stories um, in this ballad poetry book are ghost stories. And when you think about how these originated, many of them were orally passed down. So in most of in most of this book, um, when you come to a particular poem, it will say um, this was transcribed by so and so from an old woman in you know, um, in I'm trying to think of a, a town. My, my brain's Aberlaw or Scotland, you know, who passed this down. So these poems were actually kind of preserved through families telling them winter after winter and kind of adding to them a bit. And some of them are very particular to regions. Um, but it was this very communal thing that to while away the evenings, you would sing or recite these ballads. And um, I, when I've read how many of these are ghost stories, you think, well, of course they did that. They were sitting around on long winter evenings. They needed to tell each other stories that would trick and scare. And you can just imagine the fire crackling and the old grandmother telling the ghost stories. Um, so it's really been fun to kind of read through a bit of this. And and I love how much of, of Scotland's artistic tradition is, is communal. So I think often we think of the arts in terms of the artist. So I recorded a podcast about this a long time ago about the romantics and how in romanticism in the 19th century, you get this real picture of the artist as this individual who's just uniquely brilliant and they write their poems and songs by themselves, getting in touch with their internal nature that's in touch with nature. And they com compose these works of brilliance and emotion. Uh, but in Scotland, most of their poetic and also their musical tradition in particular were not composed by artists per se. They were passed down and enjoyed as a communal tradition. And this will come in again with, with the music of a way that you wild away the hours in the winter. So it wasn't just a self-expression or a capturing of profound feeling. It was a way to pass on stories and to learn lessons um, and just to enjoy and survive the winter evenings. So, I thought what I would do is read you one of these, um, <laughs> one of these poems. Um, there were several that I thought about doing. This one I'm doing because you can hear a musical version of it by Kate Rusby, who is an English folk singer. Um, but I thought I would tell you another one of them. So many of these are ghost stories. And usually there's a little bit of a moral in the ghost story or in any of these stories that turns upon a sudden realization. So one of the other ones that I almost did for you, almost read for you from this, um, this collection is this ballad called um, Of Proud Margaret. And this is kind of a good example of how the ghost stories usually go. So Proud Margaret is this lady and she's sitting at her tower and a knight comes to her and says, I'm going to die if I don't woo you. And she says, well, there's like six graves of people who said that who died because of their love for me. Um, but I only take, I'm very proud, so I only take the best. Um, so you have to answer my three riddles. And then she she gives these three riddles and they're really like quite easy. It's like, 
what is the first bird in the spring? And he's like, oh, well, this is the first bird in the spring, obviously. And then she's like, what is the first flower in the spring? And he's like, oh, this is the first flower. And it's not like a trick question. Like it literally is just the first bird and the first flower. And then he answers some other question. And she's like weirdly overawed by this. And she's like, oh yes, finally a husband for me. You can inherit me and all my beautiful castles because I'm so great and people die over loving me. Um, and then the guy's like, surprise, I'm actually a ghost and I'm actually your brother, the ghost, who's come back to say that you're super, super full of yourself, prideful Margaret, and you actually need to be humbled. And then she's super sad because she doesn't actually have a husband and she's reminded that her, that her brother was dead and she realizes that she is so prideful that someone literally had to come back from the dead to humble her. And so the kind of turn of the trick of phrase of the story is, of course, that she was proud Lady Margaret, but in the end, she is humbled Lady Margaret. So that's kind of an example of many of the forms of these ballads is someone who's visited and then either turns out to be a ghost, or the ghost turns out to be someone they didn't think they were. And then because of that, the main character learns a lesson. Um, and a lot of these also have um, elements of Scots. And Scots is an actual dialect. So it's similar to, to Gaelic or Gaelic. Um, and so if there's words you don't understand in this, it's not just because I'm saying them weird, it's because they are actually how it's recorded. So bits of this are in Scots, but I, I picked one that was less in Scots so that you all could understand it because Scots is an actual dialect. And so it's like listening to a different language. Um, but this one is called Sweet William's Ghost and we will, I will read it. And while I read it, you must imagine yourself huddled around a fire in the cold of winter with your woolen throw cast around your shoulders, maybe drinking tea, but maybe with a spot of whiskey to make sure you keep warm. And imagine me as your grandmother. It seems through the imprints in a lot of these, the descriptions, that um, that a lot of the tellers of these tales would be old women. So they'd be kind of women who would keep the stories and keep the balance. So this is Sweet William's Ghost. Lady Marjorie, Lady Marjorie, sat sewing her silken seam, and by her came a pale, pale ghost, with money, sigh, and mane. Are ye my father the king, she says? Are ye my brother John? Are ye my true love, sweet William, from England newly come? I'm not your father the king, he says. No, no, nor your brother John. I'm your true love, sweet William, from England that's newly come. Have ye brought me any scarlets, say red, or any of the silks, say fine? Or have ye brought me any precious things that merchants have for sale? I have not brought you any scarlets, say red, nor, no, no, nor sorts, say fine. But I have brought you my winding sheet, or many a rock and hill. Lady Marjorie, Lady Marjorie, for faith and charity, will ye give to me your faith and troth that I once gave to thee? Oh, your faith and troth, oh, your faith and troth, I'll not give to thee. No, no, that will will not I, until get a kiss from your ruby lips, and in my arms you lie. My lips, are they are say bitter, he says, my breath is say strang. If ye get a kiss of my ruby lips, your days will not be lame. The cocks are crowing, Marjorie, he says, the cocks are crowing again. It's the time dead part the quick, Marjorie. I must be gain. She followed him high, she followed him low, till she came to yon churchyard green. And there the deep, deep grave opened up, and young William he lay down. Is there any room at your head, Willie, or any room at your feet, or any room at your side, Willie, wherein that I may creep? 
There's no room at my head, Marjorie. There's no room at my feet. There's no room at my side, Marjorie. My coffin's made so neat. Then up and crew the red, red cock, and then crew the grey. Tis time, tis time, my dear Marjorie, that you were going away. What three things are these sweet, my William, she says, that stand here at your head? Oh, it's three maidens, Marjorie, he says, that I promised once to wed. What three things are these, sweet William, she says, that stand close at your side? Oh, it's three babes, Marjorie, he said, that these three maidens had. What these, what three things are these, sweet William, she says, that lie close at your feet? Oh, it's three hellhounds, Marjorie, he says, that's waiting my soul to keep. Oh, she took up her white, white hand and struck him on the breast, saying, Have there again your faith and troth, and I'll wish your soul good rest. So I hope you'll excuse my poor Scottish accent. Um, but this is a perfect example of this of the ghost story. So to kind of narrate what happens, it's a bit humorous, really, while also being quite dark. So Marjorie's just chillin', um, making a silken seam, when a ghost appears her, and she can't tell who it is. And so she says, are you my brother? Are you my father? Are you the king? Or are you William? And William, of course, is her, who she thinks is her true, true love. And he says, ah, it's, it's me, William. Can you please give back your faith and troth with I gave to you? So your faith and troth being like the promise to wed him. And apparently, I looked this up, it was a history that if someone gave you their faith and troth, so promised to marry you, um, and then they didn't marry you and they died, their ghost was like bound by tradition in the stories to come back to you. So if someone was dying and they'd given you their faith and troth, you had to like go back to them and be like, hey, it's okay, you can die in peace. Um, I don't need your faith in trough. Otherwise, they would come and haunt you, which, of course, is kind of a bummer. Unless you really miss them, which seems to be the case for Marjorie. So she seems to not want to give the faith in trough back to sweet, sweet William, as she calls him, because she loves him. And so she kind of doesn't want to give it back because she wants him to keep haunting her because she misses him. So she goes with him to his grave where he has to go back to sleep. And she asks if she can lay his head or his feet or his side. But it turns out that sweet, sweet William has three maids that he promised to marry at his side, three babes that they bore him at his other side, and three hellhounds on his loose. So Marjorie realizes that sweet, sweet William was not, in fact, sweet after all, that he had pled her troth and three others. And so um, she, in a fit of passion, gives him back her troth and wishes his soul good rest. Um, but one feels that she's wishing his soul good riddance. So there's this kind of delightful storytelling that's happening here with a bit of humor, a bit of macabre um, humor, and they're kind of a, um, a gallows humor of death. Uh, but that's very typical. And so there's many of these Scottish ballad poems. I'll put in some um, some links, but I don't think anything could top this, this um, collection I got. I just opened up to a page and there's flowers pressed in it. And I just think, when were those flowers pressed? Somebody many years ago was reading through this and um, loved it. Um, but yes, yeah, so that is Scout Scottish um, ballad poetry, which you can imagine everyone sitting around the fire and listening to this and telling stories and laughing and or or being scared and of course that all of them kind of have a bit of a, of a moral to the story which of course is that marjorie should have um kind of tried sir william good sweet william to see if he actually was good 
And so that's the fun of Scottish ballad poetry is that it is a story, it is often humorous, it churns on a sudden discovery, and it has the fun element of being a bit haunting because they're all ghost stories. And I guess I just think how wonderful, I, how much I love that. I love the idea of telling each other stories, of passing on good stories. I have a memory of this in my childhood um, from both my mother and my sister. So my mother, I used to always have, always have asthma at nights, and in Texas in particular, and I'd wake up at two in the morning, have these asthma attacks, and I'd have to do breathing treatments, or she would just sit me in the shower, and the shower would kind of undo my lungs. And she would tell me stories, and I still remember the stories she told me. They would be joy stories. Uh, and Sarah did the same. And I think, I think telling stories is such an essentially human thing, but I wonder how much we've lost the capacity because we just let ourselves be in the position of receiving stories through things like Netflix. Um, so I wonder what it would be like to tell each other more stories, to make up more stories. And Joel and I have been practicing this in some ways because um, we started kind of reading each other our own creative writing at nights, and um, that's been really fun. Partially uh, because I'm not on social media, so I'm wasting less time in that way. Not wasting always, but using less time in that way. But also because our flat actually only has internet in literally two, about three foot spaces. And so we just haven't been able to watch movies. And so we've just been reading more to each other and telling stories and playing music. And there's something wonderfully communal and particular about that, um, about telling stories that respond to the space that you're in. So anyway, that's a wonderful bit of Scottish wintering is ballad poetry, telling stories and passing them on. Um, so. I would challenge you to begin to have your own kind of Scottish ballad poetry. What story could you pass on from your family that everyone would famously tell uh, and laugh about or, or be creeped out by as they sat around the fire? And that leads me to my final example of Scottish wintering, which is um, traditional Celtic music. Now this, like Scottish ballad poetry, is such a communal thing. Um, there's this little pub in town that every Tuesday night has traditional music. And at first I thought that meant that um, that there was a traditional band, whatever that meant, uh, that went and played at this pub. But what it actually means is that every week a few musicians come and they start playing all these well-known tunes that everyone kind of knows. And if you have an instrument and if you know the tunes, then you just join in. And so sometimes there will be a dozen musicians all stuffed into this little room in the corner, and there will be violinists, and there will be um, penny whistlers, that's one of the famous Scottish uh, instruments, and everyone just kind of joins in. And I, I love this, thinking of art not so much as, uh, as something that's a special self-expression or a, a capturing of some high and holy human feeling, although of course I believe in art to be able to do that as well, but as being something that draws us together and whiles the day away, and that makes us kind of a, a part of something. Um, and this you can find all over pubs, especially in the Highlands. If you are a musician and you kind of know the general rules of how to play um, traditional music, you can join in anywhere, anytime, and no one will ever look askance at you. It's kind of a fun communal thing. And of course, it's not only communal for the players, because this can also be, um, usually all of them often have connections to Kaylee dancing. And Kaylee dancing, too, is kind of like the music in that once you know the few basic tunes or the few basic dances, you can join in anywhere. So the band may be enjoying whiling away the cold evening while playing on their instruments, 
um, while everyone else can stay warm by leaping around the room, uh, doing strip the willow or um, any of the other Scottish dances. And I have to say that one of my one of my greatest accomplishments being here, you know, aside from all of the PhDing and researching and blah, is being able to master all the Kaylee dances. Um, I, of course, I'm a bit rusty now because I haven't gone to many Kayleys, but pretty much if you throw me in a Kaylee, I will know most of the dances. And there's a great satisfaction and, and fun that comes from that. And so I, that's what I love about traditional Scottish and Celtic music is the communality of it, the sense of it not just being something that passes on individual artistic genius, but that passes on a history of, of well-spent evenings, of community and fun and joining together. And you don't have to feel self-conscious. You don't have to be a perfect musician. You don't have to be a perfect dancer. Um, it's merry and fun. And there's something about the music, too, that I always find haunting. I created one of my favorite playlists that I've ever created for the Patreon. It was called the Autumnal... What did I call it? I think I called it the Autumnal Acoustic or something like that um, playlist. And it's largely comprised of traditional Celtic music. Um, just because I find it so beautiful so warm in winter months, and also so kind of haunting. So to end this evening's podcast, I'm going to play you an excerpt from John Mock's Celtic Visions. This is, I believe it's the second track on the album, and it's a medley of reels. So it is Cooley's Reel, Gain Annam, Duke of Leinster's Wife. I'm positive I said that wrong. And I thought I'd do this one because it is, um, it's a lovely example of the kind of music you might hear in a pub on an evening when everyone was gathered around, be familiar tunes. It's kind of like a 12 bar blue. Everyone knows how to, to tune in and how to join into this sort of music. But also it's the sort of song that would be very easy um, to dance to. It is in fact a reel. So I thought you all might enjoy that. But also more generally, um, John Mock in Celtic Visions, Celtic Portraits, and Celtic Highlands is an excellent person to listen to if you want to hear more of this beautiful style. And I hope that this episode has given you a peek into what it looks like to winter in Scotland, both with the somber merriment of the minister skating, who shows us how important our hours of recreation and fun can be. They put us in a position where we can thank God, where we can know that it's not only our work that brings glory to him, but also our rest and our enjoyment of the gift of life. I hope you also enjoyed the spooky yet humorous lessons of Sweet William's Ghost, and that perhaps you thought about what it might be like to spend evenings telling stories, spinning remembrances, and um, teaching lessons. And finally, I hope you enjoy this merry reel as put together by John Mock. I was recently talking with a friend who said that a proper Kaylee usually involves music, dancing, and poetry. And I think this podcast has had all of the following, except for dancing. But this final song is so good that you might just find yourself jigging away in the kitchen. So thank you for listening in, and I hope you'll join me next week on Speaking with Joy. And without further ado, this is The Reels Medley by John Mock.
to hear the rest of this track, you can download the album, which I'll have links to at my website, joyclarkson.com. Thank you for listening to Speaking with Joy, and if you enjoyed today's episode, do me a great favor and go leave a rating and review on iTunes, which helps other people find this podcast. And if you love Speaking with Joy, I'd be delighted and honored if you consider joining my Patreon team, a place where you can support me in my work and in my PhD, and where you can get exclusive updates, playlists, secret podcasts, essays, and more. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash joyclarkson. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful week.